And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. When the, when the apostles say, Lord, increase our faith, the context is clear there. That within our faith lies a power to do things thought of as impossible. Think about that for a moment. Because you have seen faith do some things, survive some things, approach some things that you look back on and say, I don't know how I went through that. I don't know how we made it. I don't know what was driving me. But you got there. And it was your faith in the Lord Jesus and in God that did that. James 1 and verse 6 states, But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. The power of this kind of faith grows as our doubts about God and, and our connection to Him, as those doubts evaporate, then our faith is encouraged to grow. What we know to be true prepares us more and more to anticipate what will eventually become a reality. Some tell us today that faith is sort of like make-believe or pretending that the stories you read in your Bible or the, the things you hear from your pulpit, that thought, that's all just made of that God is a great myth. But you know different. This faith that we live is a conviction that, we, uh, that what we read are the actual words from a real God who created the world and planned our redemption. Join me with you, if you will, in Hebrews chapter 11, where we'll take up the, the most of our text today. Hebrews 11 and verse 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I could tell you that, and you could repeat it back to me, but what does that mean? And when you stop and you, you look at it, just break it down this way. Faith is built on a guarantee, an assurance, it says. That is ours by agreement, a covenant made between us and God through Jesus Christ. We are actively waiting for, and such as it is, we anticipate what is coming to us. Things like answered prayer or eternal life. Back to James 1, wisdom to be guided through this life. These are things that are like the wind. If you look at John chapter 3 and verse 8, Jesus talks about that. He says, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. People tell me, uh, that they can't see God or touch God or, and, or they can't see these stories in the Bible or, or this thing called faith. And my answer to them is you can't see gravity either. You see the result of. This is things like love. You don't see love. You see the result of. Faith is one of those things that, that is like the wind. We don't see it happening. We see the results of it. And as such then... If we don't actually see it happening, we know that it is there. We are persuaded that what we do know and how we live according to faith is right and it's true. When you're talking about faith, the evidence and assurance becomes a conviction. 
And when I say that, because I've said it a couple of times, I'm talking about those life principles that we choose to direct our decisions. Hebrews 11 and verse 6 reminds us, And without faith it is impossible to please Him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. We are at any moment in our faith a seeker, a believer, or a disciple. Look quickly, if you will, with me. It is impossible to please Him unless we seek Him. John 12 and verse 32, Jesus says, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. The draw is there to seek God, to seek Jesus. So many things stand in the way of that, and so many things discourage or, or, or push that away in people. But you're here today because you're seeking God. You're here today because you know people who are seeking God. And they want to reach out and to know that He is near to them. And Acts 17 says and He is not far from any one of us. It says in Hebrews 11 verse 6 that we must believe. We must be convinced of His existence. In Acts chapter 14 verses 15 through 17. Apostle Paul says we bring you good news. That you should turn from these vain things, these empty things to a living God. Who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations he allowed all the nations to walk in their own way. Yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons. Satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. There is evidence available and readily so. That there is a God who takes care of us. There is a God who loves us. There is a God who wants us to connect with Him. And so He seeks us, we seek Him. He is and we believe it is so. And as disciples then we follow His teaching. Matthew 16 and verse 24. Then Jesus told His disciples, If anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow Me. So go back to that Luke 17 when the, when the apostles come to him and they said, Lord, increase our faith. How do you increase your faith? Jesus says if it's as small as a mustard seed, it can move a tree. How do you increase that? Well, go back to Hebrews 11 and verse 4 and I'll give you three examples from the scriptures. Three examples of those and maybe a practical lesson today about increasing our own faith. Hebrews 11 and verse 4 gives us the example of Abel. It says, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. I want to tell you the first way that you can increase your faith, and there's a whole chapter full of lessons on that there in Hebrews 11, but I'm only going to pick three. But the first thing you can do to increase your faith is to bring God what is excellent, what it, not what is convenient. Bring God what is excellent, not what is convenient. Genesis chapter 4 verses 3 and 4 tells that story between Cain and Abel. If you look at it, it says this. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. 
Notice that Cain brought an offering. It was convenient. It's an offering. Abel, on the other hand, brought the firstborn. It begins that idea of bringing something that honors God. This is the first, the best. This is, this is a thank you. This is a praise for what you have given me. Proverbs 3 and verse 9 explains, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. The test of time bears witness to the sacrifices we have made to God. Has anyone ever asked you if you are a righteous individual? You don't get that question much. You don't walk up to a fellow on the street and say, are you a righteous individual? Most people will defer the question or deflect it and say, I'm not perfect and, and I've got my faults. And, and, uh, but, you know, Lord loves me anyway and, you know, and all these things. And the text says, the text says that God commended Abel for bringing what was excellent. You want to increase your faith? Stop making excuses for what you're bringing God. Stop giving Him what's left over of your time or your money or your, or your attention or whatever else and give Him what is first. Give Him the priority. Give God what is right, not what is left. Bumper sticker says. Is your heart right with God? We sing. God knows if we did it right and by his book. He knows that if we give, if what we give is honoring to him, he knows. If we insisted on excellence and all things concerning him, our lives speak long after we are buried. Becoming how we are remembered in our conviction, in our worship, in our work, in our integrity. Are you giving God, are you bringing God what is excellent, not what is convenient? You want to increase your faith, bring God what is excellent, not what's convenient. Secondly, Hebrews 11 and verse 5. Look at Enoch. It says, by faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found, because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. There's that word again, commended. God praised Abel for honoring him, bringing him of the best, the most excellent. In this passage, we see that God commends someone who makes it their aim to please God. Make it your aim to please God. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 9 uh, says that, it says, we make it our aim to please God. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 4 repeats, it says, No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. When I was younger, I listened to a lot of motivational speakers. And one of the things that kept coming across over and over and over was that you are going to hit what you aim at. Grammatically, that was terrible, but it made sense. At what are you aiming? And you're going to hit that target. Now the idea is, is that if your aim is to please God, you're going to hit that target. If your aim is to see how little you can get by with, you're going to hit that target. You lower the bar and you'll jump it. You raise the bar, you might do a little better at it. 
But you make it your aim because whatever you aim at, you're going to hit. Just a quick glance reveals to us that pleasing God includes the following. Scriptures are up here. You might want to write them down. We'll go through them together. First, Ephesians 6, verses 6 and 7. It says, whatever task that you are given, you work at it as if Jesus is your boss. You work at it as if Jesus is your boss. Whether you're self-employed, employed, whether you're working for the church, whether you're just doing chores around the house, you do those tasks as if Jesus is your boss and he's coming by to give it the, the once over. How is this done? What does it look like? It says this in Ephesians 6, verses 6 and 7. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. You do the best you can with what you have for the glory of God. That pleases God. Colossians 3 and verse 20. Living in your family with Jesus expecting respect. I was always impressed. There was an older lady in, in our congregation when I was growing up. And above her kitchen table it said, We welcome you, Lord, as our unseen guest. It always impressed me. Who sits down to the table to eat a meal and expects Jesus to be sitting there? And how would that change how you behave? Would it make a difference in how you talk to somebody? Would that make a difference at what, what you discuss? Would that make a difference what you watch on the television? Colossians 3 and verse 20 says this, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. We always want our children to please the Lord. One of the first things we can teach them is, Obey your parents. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 21. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. One of the things we need to aim at is sharing the message of Jesus with the great goal of saving souls. Let's have done with this, this low expectation of just kind of making it here to worship to pack a pew. Let's encourage somebody. Now you may say... I can't, I can't do that, but you can encourage someone to do that. I tell folks at the nursing home all the time when I get to go there, you know, but I tell them, I said, look, you may not can go anywhere, you may not can do anything, but you can certainly talk about Jesus wherever you are. And you can pray that he opened the door for others to share that message. And you can, and I love this, I love Billie Jean Crossway, God bless her soul. You can do a correspondence course. You can make a phone call. There are so many things with the great goal of sharing Jesus with a lost soul. We've got to quit excusing ourselves because of our limitations. And we've got to take that mustard seed faith. And we've got to go out there and plant that thing into somebody else's soul. So it can grow. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 22 because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. Following the will and the Word of God is our light and our life. When God gathers His faithful to our eternal home with Him. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 55 says, Death's sting will have no more power. The grave is nullified of its victory. 
like Enoch, to be taken by God that we might live past death is our joy and our hope. And to that end, Lord, increase our faith as we aim to please you. 2 Timothy chapter 4. That's exactly the words we hear. For I am, verse 6, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Are you a righteous person? And the answer is pretty evident. Are you doing it the right way? It's not that hard. When you get in your car after you're through here, you're going to turn it on and you're going to go down the street. Are you a righteous person? Are you obeying the speed limit? Either are, you aren't. I mean, it's pretty simple. We know the answer. Hebrews 11 and verse 7. Let's look at Noah. Hebrews 11 and verse 7 says, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Let's review quickly. How do I increase my faith? First of all, I'm going to bring God what is excellent, not what is convenient. Secondly, I'm going to aim to please God. And the third thing I'm going to do here is I'm going to prepare with the end in mind. I'm going to prepare with the end in mind. I tell married couples this a lot. When we get to that part about um, children, we talk about having children, raising children. I said, look, why do you want to have children? And they say, well, we want to share with the world our love. And I said, that's so selfish. Why do you want to have children? They go, um, well, we, uh, we want to bring life into this world. Really? That is so burdening on the world to add one more life to have to feed and have to put up and breathe oxygen. I said, What's, why do you want to have children? And they go, um, and finally they just get around to ask me, well, why do we want to have children? And I said, you want to have children because you want 18 years from now to bless the world with someone who will stand up for Jesus. And I said, and that has to start before you say I do. Because if you wait until age nine to try to start doing that, they're halfway grown. You know, they're, they're, they're just children. Yes, they are just children. They're just little souls. Yes, they are just little souls. But by age nine, they have already started making up their mind about what they believe about God and the church and their mission and purpose in life. And if you just leave it up to whatever they choose, trust me, even those of us who have raised our children know that they will sometimes choose not to be faithful. How much more so if you leave it to chance? Begin with the end in mind. That has nothing to do, that has everything to do with your family, but it also has to do with your soul. And with the soul of the people that you love. Prepare with the end in mind. Why did you become a Christian? What was the purpose? Well, I didn't want to go to hell. All right, there you go. 
Or I wanted to go to heaven. Hopefully you wanted to go to I wanted to be forgiven of my sin. Uh-huh. All right. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3. In verse 11 through 13. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved. Talking about this earth. What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved. And the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. There's that word righteousness again. There is coming a day when every person will stand before God and answer for the way that they have lived here on this earth. Everybody you know, everybody you don't know. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Let me set you the sequence of events as it will unfold. When that day comes, Jesus will come again. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 through 10. You need to mark it in your Bible. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. When He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed. Then Jesus will sit as the judge. Matthew 25, verses 31 and 32 says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Jesus will come. Jesus will judge. Jesus will use the word of God as the standard of that judgment. John chapter 12, verse 48. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on that day. It's not capricious. It's not, it's not flippant. It's the thing we've had before us the whole time. We have the book. The book will judge us. Jesus will judge according to the book when he comes back. There will be no absentees. There will be no excuses. There will be no tardiness. Everyone will be judged. Revelation 20 verse 12. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. Had done. You are now forging your destiny in the anvil of every day that you are given. Every person will be judged individually. Romans 14 and verse 12 says, so that each of us will give an account of himself to God. I will not be judged for you. I will not be judged for my children. I will be judged by my faith. I will be judged by my life as I have lived it. But so will you. You will stand for who you are. You can't say, my grandmother was a faithful member of the church. And Jesus is going to say, you're absolutely right. But that's not what you did. You could say, but our family was always this, that, or the other. And Jesus said, my word says that I will build my church. Somebody's going to say, but I didn't know. And Jesus said, you had the witness of the creation of the word and of the church. 
Did you believe? You might say, well, I was a good person. And Jesus says, but are you righteous? Never said the good go to heaven. It said the righteous are the ones who go. And righteousness is only in Jesus Christ. The destiny of every person will be determined by how they prepared for eternity with the days they have now. Every day you are stringing your destiny on the time that you are given. You look at yesterday. What did you do to give glory to God? You look at a week ago. What were you doing to give glory to God? And you go, but it's not by works. I'm not saying you're saved by works. I'm saying you're saved by grace. I get that in Jesus Christ. Let's put that to bed once and for all. What I'm saying is, is that according to Noah, who listened to God's warning, he obeyed all that God told him to do. Genesis 6 and verse 22. Are you obeying everything God told you to do? The Lord is not slow concerning his promise. 2 Peter 3 verses 9 through 11. He is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. And since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people are you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? How do you stand before the throne of God? Do you stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ? Do you stand in His holiness? Have you lived out His godliness? Do you want to increase your faith? Like Abel then, we have to bring Him what is excellent, not what is convenient. Like Enoch, we make it our aim to please God. And like Noah, we know that there is a day of judgment coming. And we prepare with the end in mind. I want nothing more in my life than when that day comes to stand before my Lord with Jesus at my side as my Savior and my Advocate to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your Master's happiness. I would love nothing more to hear that. How do I do that? I start doing that now. I prepare with the end in mind. The question today. Are you? Are you preparing now? Every day that you live. To spend eternity with God. Are you bringing God what is excellent? Are you aiming to please God with how you live? It begins so simply. It starts with, with your surrender. By faith you seek God. Believing that He exists. Believing that the rewards that He offers far outweigh anything this life could have. Giving your sins over to Jesus so that you could bury them in baptism. That you may be raised to walk in what is called in Romans 6 and verse 4. The newness of life. All of our sins taken care of. Colossians 2 and verse 12. So that there is a crown of righteousness laid up for us. 
because our righteousness is not by the law, but by our faith in Jesus Christ and what that leads us to do. Now, God's invitation is to all of us. Will you pray with me today? Lord, increase our faith. If you need to respond to God's invitation this morning, whether to be baptized or to repent of sin or to ask for courage to be more faithful, would you come to the front and make your need known as together we stand and as we sing?